Sisters and brothers, what would you think if I told you, y'all ready for this, that John Wesley hated church tradition? Now, before you say no way or right on, let me tell you that that's not an idea of mine. That's something that has been suggested before. And I think it's a worthwhile thing to think about because, as you know, over the last couple of weeks and next week included, we've been talking about the Wesleyan quadrilateral and tradition, church tradition, is a part of that. And since that's all true, I think there are at least two questions that we should ask ourselves this morning. And the first is, pretty obvious, why can it be said, period, that John Wesley hated church tradition? Was it because of Jesus? You remember that time when the Pharisees confronted Jesus and they had something to say about his disciples not doing the things that they were doing. Do you remember that? And Jesus asked them, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your what? Tradition. He goes on to quote them and he says from Isaiah that when the people, they worship me in vain... Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Or maybe the reason is because John Wesley, as someone has noted, would have been familiar. Maybe he resonated with the line from a well-known homily of the Anglican Church that included the line that we must rely on Scripture and not, and I quote, the stinking puddles of men's traditions, end quote. The second question then, if Wesley was so seemingly against church tradition, why is it a part of the Wesleyan quadrilateral? Y'all with me? Okay. (laughs) So here are a couple reminders of what we've said so far about the Wesleyan quadrilateral. First, Wesley didn't invent it. It wasn't something that he labeled. It wasn't a process that he ironed out. The term was coined by a Methodist scholar in the 20th century who actually borrowed the concept concept from another Anglican resource. And the second thing we've repeated on purpose is that all four elements of the quadrilateral are not equal. That Scripture is the primary element for Wesley and for us because understanding Scripture is the goal of our lives. Understanding Scripture is the goal of the Christian heart. God has given us this Word, and we want to be able to hear what God is telling us through it. Amen? If not, then it's just a bunch of old, tired words. But we believe it to be the living Word of God for God's people. And so for our summer sermon series, we've also extended that that idea to include the question, how do I find the will of God? What does God want of me? What does God want from me? What does God want for me? Even for us. 
So I, I want you to understand, I'm not just here last couple of weeks and this week and next week to give you a, a Methodist history lesson. I'd love to do that sometime, but not here and not now. What I want you to see is that God has given us, God has given you tools to be able to answer those important questions. And for us as Methodist Christians, this idea of the Wesleyan quadrilateral is a reminder that we use reason, we use scripture itself, we use tradition, and we use experience to help us understand what God is saying to us. Y'all with me? God wants to speak to us. The one true living God, creator of the entire world, wants you to know that there is a plan for your life. Wants you to know that He has a will for you. And He has given us these resources, these tools, these ideas to be able to understand and to figure out what that will is. Are y'all with me? Amen. Now, when it comes to tradition, church tradition, I think we need some clarification. Because usually for us in the church, when we talk about tradition, we simply mean the things we, and I mean we, the things we do. That's not what Wesley wanted us to think about in terms of tradition. That's actually more like the idea of experience that we'll talk about next week. But for Wesley, the tradition that he refers to is primarily the tradition of the ancient church. He wanted to know how the church fathers wrestled with Scripture. He wanted to know how their practices shaped their faith. Not how they spent Sunday afternoons. Not how they raised money, but how everything they did shaped their faith in God. So, for example, you hear me talk a lot about small groups. I think every single person needs to be a part of a small group that has the intent to be together, to pray, to learn Scripture, and to encourage each other. That is something every single one of us needs in our life if we're going to remain faithful to God. Now, that's not my idea. That was actually Wesley's idea. And it was something that he saw was rooted in the discipline of the ancient church. Think about what you know about the book of Acts and how the church grew. What was happening in part is that they they were getting together. They were worshiping together in small communities. They didn't have buildings like this. They didn't have worship times like we do. They, they, they made time where they got together and as more and more people became a part of the Christian tradition. They found ways to meet together in smaller groups for worship, study, and encouragement. And Wesley saw that as something important to hold on to. He wasn't interested in knowing what they did just for the sake of knowing what they did. And he wasn't trying to necessarily redo what they did. He learned what was important to them and shaped his ministry around that understanding. Now, I hear all the time, and I have for a long time, about the need to go back to our tradition. And I'm all for that. The problem is, I don't think we go back far enough. If I think about all the times people have told me we've got to go back 
to tradition, what they really mean to say is, we need to go back to the way I used to do things. Or we used to do things. That's not the church tradition Wesley is talking about. That's not the tradition that was important to early Methodists. I think, oh, we got to go back. But we got to go way back. Watch this. Most of us remember that one thing that King Solomon asked God for. What did King Solomon ask God for? Wisdom. God said, I'll grant you whatever you want. Solomon says, I need wisdom to lead these people you gave me. And so I've told you before that I am sure that God granted Solomon wisdom. But I think that there was already some seed of wisdom living within him. And I think in our reading from Second Chronicles today, we see that because the text opens up with, with what seems to be the very first act that Solomon does as king. David has passed away. He's carried on the mantle. He says, now you're king. And the very first thing that Second Chronicles says happens is that King Solomon gathers all of the people at the tabernacle. He gathers all of the people at the tabernacle. Now, some of you remember the tabernacle. This was the place, the mobile place, where people would gather to meet, not with each other, as fun as that is, not with each other, as great as that is, but it's where they would gather to meet with God. God said, this is my place where I will meet with you. And so it's fitting that on the onset of his reign, Solomon gathers all the people, seeks God's guidance at this, one of the most holy places, the holiest of places that they have. You could say Solomon recognized the tradition of his people. As we've been reading through the Bible, through the Old Testament, we've read about this place a lot, haven't we? And now we see that all these years later, after all that's happened at and with this place, Solomon, the text says, Solomon and the assembly inquired at it. I'm going to suggest to you that they were using their tradition to inquire of God what was next for them. They were looking back in order to look forward. They knew what God had done and what this portable tent had meant to them. Now, let me ask you another question about Solomon. You know he asked for wisdom from God. After Solomon meets with all the people here at the tabernacle, do you remember his next job? Do you remember what he sets out to do next? I'll give you a hint. Build the temple. Remember his father David had said, oh, I want, to build God's, I want to build God's temple. God says, no, it's not your time. It's going to be for somebody else. God, David recognizes it's Solomon who's going to build the temple. David gets everything prepared. He has all of the resources. He has all the people in place. He has everything ready. He gives them all the plans. And Solomon takes all that, and he is to build the new temple of God. Now, here's why I think that's important. That even though this tabernacle was given by God to the people of God, it wasn't going to be a part of their religious life anymore. So part of what Solomon does is, he says, 
we are going to start off by inquiring of God here. So much has happened here. God has revealed so much to us here at this place. But if we're going to move forward, we have to realize God isn't telling us to stay here. God is telling us to go there. And Solomon didn't say, oh, this stuff doesn't matter anymore. Let's get it out of the way. I think part of what he was doing was acknowledging the holiness of this place. Acknowledging the power of everything that had happened here. And then in some way telling his people, now God's telling us to move forward. Because they wouldn't need the tabernacle anymore. Because they were going to have the temple. And I think there's a huge lesson in there for us about what we do as church and what we want to be so daring to call church tradition. It's been said that tradition is the living faith of those now dead. Tradition is the living faith of those now dead. And that's something that Wesley understood. Something that he understood about the faith of the forefathers. I think that's something that Solomon understood as well. I think it's something that we need to understand about all the generations that have gone on before us. I keep a picture. keep a picture of a saint of God who you know, who's no longer with us. And this saint of God used a hymnal as part of their worship, their personal worship. Because you know worship doesn't just happen in this place. You know, we can come to worship and that's great, but God wants us to be worshipers. This person was a worshiper. And I can see on the hymn, Scriptures written all over the page, times written all over the page. And I keep that picture because it is such a powerful reminder of me, to me, of that person's faith. And of what my faith can be as well. Tradition is the living faith of those now dead. But it's also been said that traditionalism is the dead faith of those still living. Which one of those do you think John Wesley hated? Which one of those do you think Jesus said, Nuh-uh, we're not going to hold on to? Which one of those do you think the church in our country today strives so hard to hold on to? See, you and I today are told to live in the moment. That's... That's what our culture tells us. And as a result, our culture doesn't value history. There's so many times people, I don't care about history. That's old people, dead people stuff. And we worship at the altar of new and we don't realize the benefit we have of thousands of years of struggle, victory, and revelation. We don't realize that if we're not looking back where we've been, we'll never be able to move forward and fully understand where we're going. And you know what they say about those who forget history. They're doomed to repeat it. I'm going to suggest to you something a little bit different. Those who forget the tradition of the saints of God that have gone on before us, we're doomed to make it empty. 
But here's the line when it comes to tradition, ancient or otherwise. Tradition, in terms of finding God's will, which is what we're trying to do, is not supposed to be about what's important to us. We have this idea, well, if I like it, if it's fun for me, if it's good for me, our life is supposed to be about God first. See, tradition is what has shaped our faith in previous days and how that tradition and faith can inspire us to live faithfully today. Tradition, as Wesley understood it, and as the Methodist tradition, the Methodist movement promoted it, was about theological reflection. It's about discerning the will of God. It's about figuring out what God is trying to tell us, not for keeping us comfortable or happy, even. Tradition must lead to holiness of heart and life. If it doesn't, it's not God's. I, I remember, sisters and brothers, I've been reading church newsletters for a long time. And I can remember many years ago, I, I had a stack of them. And I, was going through them, and I, and I recognized something. And I feel like these words just sort of jumped out at me. These churches, they were talking about all these events and activities and plans that they had, and uh, particularly the ones that they were talking about that had already happened. And, and a phrase that kept, I, see, I would see, being repeated in different churches at different times was this, that a good and fun time was had by all. And I got to thinking... Is that God's will? Is that what God gave the church to the world for so that the church people could have a good and fun time? Or was there something more that we are supposed to be about? Don't get me wrong. We're going to have some fun. But that doesn't trump God's will for the church. See, there's a word we have for putting other things above God. It's not tradition. It's idolatry. We look at how others have wrestled with Scripture. We look, we consider how others have wrestled with their faith and their doubts. And we look at the answers that they've been able to find. We look at the experiences that they had with God so that we can live faithful today. Sisters and brothers, church, understand this. Everything that you and I believe today is a, di- is a direct result of the thinking of earlier Christians. You and I aren't that smart to come up with this stuff on our own. It's taken thousands of years of the church asking God to reveal himself to us for us to learn what we know today. Are you all with me? You may not know this, but the boat is an ancient image of the church. It's a simple boat. It's long been used. There's a lot of uh, churches that will have boats in their stained glass windows. It's something that is seen a lot. And I encourage you to go home and, and read a little more about it. There's so much more to say. But there's one thing I want to remind you about a boat. A boat has an anchor, doesn't it? You, you want to be able to anchor your boat somewhere. And if you're going to think of the church as the boat, let's also think of this anchor as the church's tradition. Now, 
For those of you who, uh, who are seagoers, you have a boat, you've been on a boat, where does the anchor usually go? In the front. You, you put the anchor out in front. And, and I wonder if that's an image for us to see that if we are going along the sea of life as the body of Christ together, and we have this tradition that will anchor us when we need to, we don't throw it behind us for it to pull us back. We throw it in front of us so it can pull us forward. And too many times, sisters and brothers, we see that churches are not willing to do that. We'd rather throw everything back here and pull the church of God back. But what God is trying to do is to show us what's over there. And that's the hard work of God. Finding what the will of God is through our reason, through Scripture itself, and what we know about the tradition of a church. I, I want to give you a very real uh, example for me. Uh, some of you know, and I won't tell you the whole story. That's, if you want to have lunch, we can do that. Um, but uh, you should have known me as John Angel. Right? And I even had a chance to, to change my name to John Angel. It would have been a way to honor my family and all that stuff. But I chose to remain John Fletcher. And I remember few years after that, every once in a while I would think, man, did I, rate the, did I make the right choice? And I had a choice to, to do something that would have been, I think, honorable. But I chose for certain reasons to, to, to keep this name. And, and I always wondered, was that the right thing I should have done? Well, very early on, as I began to, to inquire with God about ministry, and in particular, ministry in, in our Methodist um, understanding. I, I read about somebody. Um, you all know John Wesley. We talk about him a lot. But do you know that I'm not the real John Fletcher? Yeah, the real John Fletcher was a gentleman that John Wesley said, when I die, I want him to take my place. This man was so faithful to God. This man... It was said of his, him that he stained his walls with prayer. You see, and sister brothers, I learned about the real John Fletcher, and I heard, I heard that I did that he stained his walls with prayer. And when I learned that, I said, that's who I want to be. That is what I want people to be able to say of me. So, sisters and brothers, here's my encouragement to you. Learn something about church history. Learn something about the history of your church. Learn something about where we've been. Learn something about what we've been taught. Learn something about what God has done in us already. Talk to an elder about their work with God. Talk to them about their experiences. Find a mentor that wants you to grow spiritually. Someone who is older, someone who's been where you've already been and can help you get to where God wants you to be. Sisters and brothers, John Wesley only hated the way that we allow supposed tradition to stifle what God wants to do in and through us. But if we could change our mind about 
what tradition is and what it could be, I'm convinced that we will joyfully find the will of God for our lives. God, what do you want from me? Maybe it's time to look back a little bit so that God can propel you forward. Amen? Yeah, amen. Thanks be to God.